What's wrong? I can't just miss a dear old friend. You can, but I've held your hand while you've navigated Federation diplomacy disasters. I've seen you face down some new galactic threat. We have jumped universes together. I gotta say, I don't remember ever seeing you look quite like... Oh, oh, I'm gonna take that back. I have seen you look like this. And it's serious, so this, as lovely as it is, is not going to cut it. So, top shelf or hooch? Hooch, I think. Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the Stargazer Bridge, this is Tyler Orton saying cheers, big ears. (laughs) Remember, Tyler, you can never be too old to be awkward. (laughs) That is a man who knows how to flirt. Am I right? Am I right? That's right. And he only had to kill off Lars's husband to give Picard a love interest. That poor actor. He brought so much life to the series in those three episodes, so much more than we got from, like, say, Elnor or Soji, and they had to kill him off just to bring us the greatness that is Lars. So I guess I can take it. I'm, I'm just, I, I feel bad for the actor. St- sorry, Zaban. Uh, we, we did like you. It's not even like we can say it was a lame character, but uh, I'm interested to see what they do going forward. Um, I gotta say, like, I, I would just like to know kind of temperature check. You know, when you sat down to watch Picard, the premiere, were you excited? Yes. The answer is yes. And yeah. I was leaving season one feeling completely burned, just uh, burned. Very, very down <laughs> on where the uh, show uh, seemed to be going. The whole, you know, Gollum android Picard with the memories of a character we really liked uh, as the new lead that left me very depressed. Um, but as we got closer and closer, they they just kept telling us the right things. They were showing us, you know, marketing that made me intrigued. And I will have to say, I I I I, I go into this uh, fully uh, open mind, and I enjoyed what I saw. And guess what? When we watch Remembrance, you know, two years ago, the uh, the season or the, I should say the series premiere, I think we were very high on that. And then we slowly. Uh, were deflated by what they delivered and it took us for a little while to wrap our heads around that but um so I, i'm going in uh, w- with an open mind and so far i am enjoying what uh, we, we got in this season two premiere uh the star gazer at uh, camp what, what's your initial takeaway on the season two premiere of uh, star trek picard i went into it i think maybe more excited than i would have been had it not been for discovery being well, we'll get to Discovery later in the episode, but just, it's kind of brought my spirits down, so it was like, I may not have been as excited just to have another live-action Star Trek show on the air if Discovery was flying on all cylinders, but the fact was, I was really looking forward to maybe just a change-up in my week-to-week viewing habits, and so I went into Picard really excited, and I found that this, as a premiere, it's always tough to say because it is, to a certain degree, table-setting, but it was table setting that I was genuinely interested in. I um, found myself really intrigued to see where this could go. I did with Remembrance too, so you never quite know. But in terms of like setting up a season, 
this really did have me quite interested in where things were and very optimistic. So I gotta say, I really walked away happy and encouraged, but also I, I do have that little bit of a nagging, just like, be careful, don't get too excited kind of voice in my head. Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't want to bury the lead here. Let's go into the, the big stuff, you know, and, we mm. can, and then we can kind of dive into where we find the characters. I think this, would you say this is about two years after the uh, the season finale? Yeah, I, I guess so, because I think Agnes said, like, they broke, her relationship with Rios was about a year, and then they'd been apart a while, so that seems about right, yeah. And then they did say that Javon had died a year and a half ago, so mm-hmm. I, I can buy that. So, uh, But look, look, we've got uh, the Borg return in full force rather than some uh, cube wreckage. <laughs> and uh, we've got the return of, of what appears to be the Queen in some real like uh, BDSM sort of outfits um, that I was not expecting from her. And well, I don't know. Isn't she always? Isn't she always wearing BDSM outfits? <laughs> I, you know that, that that's a good point. Uh, just not to this degree, I, I, I suppose. Yeah. And then look, uh, we we got some sort of self destruct thing. If the Borg are being honest about their intentions, it seems as if it was a terrible strategy on their parts. I, I, I maybe I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because you know the Queen was stunning people, not not killing people. But uh, then flash bang. Picard finds himself back on planet Earth, and uh, Q makes an appearance, and we don't quite get the um, freaky uh, Luke Skywalker Mando season two finale look to Q. <laughs> I actually thought that they did a much better job with rendering uh, Jean uh, Delancey much uh, younger in a realistic way than they did with, say, Data in season one of Picard. And then eh, he's like, hey, mon capitan, I, I, I want to um, look like you, uh, aging as you are. And um, I, I guess we'll see the fallout from there. We, we can speculate on what all this means. But uh, Cam, I, do you think it's Q that has brought Picard into this reality? Or do you think it has more to do with maybe what the Borg has done? And it's maybe Q acting as some sort of guidepost, knowing, of course, he's the one that introduced Picard to the Borg way back in the day. We're talking like 30 years ago, uh, 35 years ago, uh, pretty much now. Yeah, I didn't get the sense that Q had caused, like, whatever's about to be the direction of the season. Um, So much as he kind of pulled Picard out of this situation to kind of freeze time almost. And we're going to go from here. That was kind of the sense I got. Like, whatever phenomenon had happened after the, you know, the destruction, um, that wasn't Q-related. So, we are in this alt-reality now. We'll find out more going forward about what the nature is of it all. But let me ask you this. This is what I was thinking about initially. Because, look, they really did not want to go too deeply in the constitution of what this uh, Picard android is, exactly. They, you know, Girardi said, oh, you're looking absolutely positronic. And then Picard made a reference to him being a refit. And that was pretty much it. And I was like, ugh, okay, you're not really going to touch on this. But then, of course, I'm wondering, in this alternate reality, are we looking at a flesh-and-blood actual Jean-Luc Picard? Or are we looking at some sort of Gollum Picard who just happens to be in this reality? Oh my god. <laughs> I don't even know. That's I never even thought about that. Um, he seems well, let, very... let me throw, throw yeah. some, uh, some uh, you know, theories towards you. Because sure. uh, when would there have been the opportunity for a Gollum Picard to have been created and for, you know, a flesh and blood Picard's memories to be uploaded into this golem, you know, in this situation, this alt reality. I'm wondering if maybe the writers have kind of um, solved this whole golem Picard issue if 
we're, we're finding the flesh and blood Picard in this alt reality with, with you know, his consciousness in this kind of this self-aware consciousness in this alt reality body or something. I, I hope so. I, I don't have faith that they will kind of address it directly, but maybe that's how I can do my own headcanon and kind of resolve my uh, very big issues with the fact that what we're watching is just, uh, uh, you know, an android who has the memories of Picard. We're not actually looking at Picard himself. I, I, I don't believe in this idea that his soul has somehow transferred over to the Gollum's body. Yeah, um, hmm, like, I, I didn't really think of it as, like, it being a different form so much as, um, Q transporting Picard into, like, a different reality. I didn't think of it changing, like, a physical form situation. I mean, I guess I looked at it very much the way I would look at, like, Tapestry, where whatever the Picard is who's occupying the episode Tapestry is the same one who had been there previously and that's i guess the kind of the way i looked at it. i didn't think about changing a physical form or anything like that it would be an interesting way to you know hand wave away the changes made to picard last season the Gollum picard and i do think there is a larger discussion we can have about that the direction of this season in many ways feels like a um very mild i don't want to say reset but a uh, realignment of the picard ongoing series well you know like the I was reading a review of the episode uh, today, and they were saying, like, look, uh, maybe it's one of these situations where Star Trek never has, like, a, a great first season, and it is kind of a uh, a trend in a lot of these TV series where you spend all of season one as kind of an extended pilot setting up the show that you really do want to make. And honestly, I, I was far more thrilled, you know, bouncing back and forth, finding out where our characters were, you know, two years later than I, I ever expected to be. Like, this seemed to be kind of the show that I wanted to see, where, you know, Picard is aboard a ship, uh, a very cool-looking uh, uh, Starfleet ship. You know, we've got characters that have been growing, developing. Elnor finally has kind of a utilitarian job, uh, you know, a, a, as a cadet. Uh, we've got all the characters in happier places, you know, with Seven in command of her own ship, Rios in command of his own ship. We've got Rafi back. And Starfleets, which is delightful, it doesn't seem like such a miserable experience to find these folks. So I don't know. To me, it just seems as if, as you say, this kind of reset going on. I think it's a wonderful reset if that's what they're doing. The other, the only problem is, is like within forty-five minutes, it seems like it's yet another reset, which is a little frustrating. But we'll have to see where it goes uh, through the next nine episodes. True. Um, it's just like, I, when I was watching, I'm like, I, I like this. I am not complaining at all about the content of the episode more in the sense of like, there's nothing to me by the end of season one that indicates that next season, they're all going to be basically back in Starfleet. <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't you, know? you think like that by the end of season one is going to be a ragtag crew kind of exploring the galaxy to a certain degree? Yeah. That really felt like what the show was setting itself up for. There was nothing, there was no real breadcrumbs of, you know, Rios is going to be the captain of a Starfleet vessel next season. And all that, I mean, the only one that felt a little organic was um, Seven being back with the Fenris Rangers. Everything else I was going, like, okay, I feel like we almost missed a season of actual character progression. Um, but at the same time, I'm not complaining because there was nothing in the setup of season one yeah. Picard that I was like, guys, I really, I really want to go back to where I was at the end of, you know, whatever the name of that finale was. Yeah, I, and you know, but I, I'm okay with them skipping sorts of things like with the Rafi Seven relationship. If like, mm -hmm. do we want to sit through like an entire season where they kind of slowly grow further apart, like we're seeing in Discovery with Book and Burnham right now? Or it's just like, 
it's not fun to watch you know so if we kind of jump ahead to where they are just kind of grown apart you know where we have to instead of us watching kind of the, the highs and lows uh, and honestly like star trek really hasn't been like kind of a great showcase for romances anyways it's usually kind of cheesy or boring i'd say there's uh, some exceptions like uh, ben and cassidy or Worf and jadzia but i don't know after that cam uh what's the next best relationship o'brien and, uh, and keiko Riker and minuet <laughs> and there is it seems an overarching message of or theme of the season about you know searching within and being willing to open yourself up to love that seems to be something that's very much driving the picard character and it looks like they're going to tie that to potentially other characters as well so it kind of makes sense to have them all where they are like in in terms of table setting it did a good job of putting kind of all the pieces in place, and it's just about the evolution of that over the next nine episodes. But you and I have been talking recently, and I'm not talking about this week's Discovery, but the last handful, we've been talking about table-setting episodes week after week and talking about just how, like, flat they were. But, like, this was table-setting done right, where I was genuinely interested in what the characters were thinking, where they could be going, what the story seemed to be pointing towards. It didn't feel like kind of this very passive, flat experience that I've been getting on Discovery. Well, remember, it took us three episodes in season one just to get off Earth. And then yeah. we also had to stop by Elnor's planet. And then we had to go to the Stardust City, which was terrible. And then it, so it took like six episodes for the story to actually get going. And it was very clear that the story is so convoluted, the writers didn't even know where it was going at that point, And they're rewriting on the fly. So I, I like that they've just kind of jumped right into it. And we'll have to see what it means, because my assumption is that out of all the main cast, like, everybody's going to be self-aware of their leap into this alt dimension that they're in, and they're the only ones among them that are self-aware of this. So I think, it, it, look, I, I'm looking forward to episode two, and I, I just, I, I almost appreciate the fact that they, they have, like, a very, like, A, B, C, plot outline this is like a story it feels like a full story even though there is a bit of a mystery box element to it but it feels as if like we went from one place to another rather than it just feeling like oh this is um this is part of a 10 hour movie which is one of those uh things that i just hate that showrunners say yeah there was sort of the dangling um i guess plot thread we'll see developed in terms of picard's memories of his mother that stuff i can't say left me filled with anticipation <laughs> Uh, that was the sort of thing where I was like, oh my god, I'm watching this 100-year-old man have, like, mommy issues at this point? Like, that seems kind of weird. But um, everything else in terms of that character's journey does seem interesting and compelling. And I do think there is a certain responsibility you have when you are, you know, directing Patrick Stewart around your show and you're playing the TNG theme on your score to deliver an experience that warrants that. Because it, it can be very cheap. And I think... At its worst, season one, Picard, it felt cheap. Whereas, to me, this episode, it felt earned. Speaking of his mother, though, I am wondering if he... The the, the implication is that he has problems with long-term romances because of mommy issues. You know, Guiden points to his heart and says, what happened to you? And then he's thinking about his mother again. And I'm just like, oh... This is kind of weird. It's a bit of a stretch. The other thing that kind of irked me, and I, you know, I guess I just have to get over it now, though, is that Picard is like, well, I've had deep love before. Guinan says, well, yeah, but there was always kind of temporary in these very temporary situations. And then I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I can no longer really headcanon it at this point. I don't think there was ever a Picard and Beverly marriage. There's no Beverly uh, Picard 
as yeah. uh, we saw in All Good Things, which is kind of a disappointment. I, I'd love it in you know, maybe in an episode, uh, you know, uh, later on, we, we see a Captain Picard, a.k.a. Uh, Beverly. Like, that would be fun, you know, kind of a throw uh, a shout out to All Good Things. But um, I don't know, I, I just, I, I, I hope the um, the love thing isn't going to be kind of the spine of the season. It's more something that they can address to help flesh out his character. It would be interesting to have, I don't think this will be the case, but it would be interesting to have like, um, you know, an episode or something of Picard doing like a high fidelity um, and going around and talking to the women he had relationships with in the Lists. past. and <laughs> What his limitations Top 10 were. first contacts. <laughs> we can have Jack Black brought in for, you know, special guest star. But Walking I would... on sunshine. <laughs> I would People, totally... watch High Fidelity. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> it is. Fantastic movie. I would actually just genuinely love an episode of Picard sitting down with, you know, Neela Darren and maybe Beverly Crusher and just talking about how their relationship fizzled out. Like, I know that that's not what people are signing up to Paramount Plus for, but I would love it. Anish can make another comeback. Yes, um, I would love know, that. Famke Jansen as well. Vash, oh. you know, I Cam. I, this must be the anthology series that. Th- th- no, this is season three of Picard. We, we'll deal with all of this, and season three is all about him uh, meeting up with his uh, uh, previous hookups. Maybe they'll let us write like a six-episode short trek series where we can just do like ten or fifteen-minute conversations with each of these characters. <laughs> I mean, this is far more intriguing than anything we got in season one. I'm just being honest. Yeah, like I would love to know because when we talked uh, fairly recently about um, Picard and the journey of that character, I brought up the romance in um, Insurrection and said like it felt like a Picard who, when you compared that romance to the past, the, the past ones often felt kind of awkward and stilted and like a man who was very closed off, whereas he felt like more of a romantic lead in insurrection. I thought maybe that was a man more comfortable with himself, but it would seem like the season's pointing and maybe saying not not quite like he wasn't quite over yeah. the hump yet. I really do think they struck gold with Orla Brady uh, as mm-hmm. Laris. It's very clear that there's chemistry between the the characters, the actors, and um, you know they're they're attracted to each other, and it was hilarious, you know, um, them like awkwardly trying to make moves and it's, it's mostly just uh, Picard being a total dope and uh, freezing over that. You know, I, I hope that, um, you know, even though she's in the main credits now, um, are you going to have a, a, a Romulan agent somehow in this alt dimension? Like that is just smoothly part of the season moving forward. Like, I don't know. Are, are they going to be bouncing back and forth between dimensions throughout the season? I just don't know if where we left off the character, which was essentially getting ghosted by Picard towards the end, uh, if that lends yourself to more appearances than we saw in season one, which I believe was just three episodes. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how they work her into this alternate dimension, or if it's just like we see an alternate version of her that is not cognizant of being in this alternate dimension. Um Maybe it could almost be like a, uh, you know, Christmas Carol type thing where he sees an alternate life with her or something like that. Um, Because I do think this is probably going to tie into, you know, maybe the finale or something. Like, I do think there will be, uh, you know, a romance that happens finally between the two of them. It would be very strange to tease this up front and then never do it. Well, if there's ever going to be a Christmas Carol illusion in Star Trek, we've got the right actor to do that, don't we? Oh, yeah. And I mean, the whole, like, It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas Carol type of story. I mean, we saw it in Tapestry. And if there's one thing I've learned when it comes to a lot of these new Star Trek shows is they're often looking back at, 
the kind of the classic elements to try to bring them forward a little bit. You know, you look at season one of Picard where there's all the Borg stuff, all the Romulan stuff, a lot of best of both worlds stuff. I mean, of course they're going to look at something like Tapestry when they're bringing Q back. I, I was being more literal than that because, uh, mm. of course, Patrick Stewart uh, did the yep. Christmas Carol one-man uh, uh, stage play as well, which is uh, fantastic. So, it came, uh, okay, I, I, I do want to critique some things. Mm-hmm. Um, the VFX work, especially the stuff, the, the exteriors of L.A., San Francisco, and the ships, it looks like something out of Wing Commander. It looks <laughs> terrible. It looks as if when we're in San Francisco, the folks that rendered The Sims, you know, did this. I cannot explain it because I I mentioned before, but Battlestar Galactica premiered almost 20 years ago. And we were looking at kind of photorealistic, you know, uh, spaceships, stuff that really flowed. I, I I was out of my mind at some of the VFX shots that they did there. And I, I remain thoroughly unimpressed with this. And it looks as if like a big step back. Remember when we were complaining about it in season one of Discovery? And then when we got our Blu-rays, it looked as if the VFX were rendered much better. But I don't know. Did they jump out to you as uh, bad the way that I kind of described it? They didn't look great. I guess I'm more forgiving of them um, because I often don't measure them against what's going on you know, in other contemporary TV shows, I tend to think back to the setup, establishing shots of, you know, Voyager and TNG and often where those often look clunky. So I kind of, it's not that I give it a pass. It's like, I don't really even think about it that much. Well, you know, when they pulled back from planet earth and, you know, you go further and further out until you hit the uh, spatial rift. But, you know, I I compare that to the opening sequence of uh, Star Trek, the next generation in which you uh, pull back from there, and I'm far more impressed with what they were doing 35 years ago in terms of visual effects than I was with this. Like it looked as if I was in outer space back then, when you're pulling away from, you know, nebulae, uh, gas giants, ringed planets. This I'm just like, okay, somebody made that on a computer, and it looks uh, very much like I'm watching some sort of Pixar movie rather than something that's photorealistic. Like it looked like outright bad to me. Although I would argue the space scenes in Wally looked better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. So it, it's frustrating because I don't know what, what they have so much money and I, I don't know why they can't get like a better VFX team to you know do this. I don't know. There was the shot when the rift opened and there was the other starship there, not the Stargazer. I don't I didn't catch the name of it. I think it was um, the Avalon. The Avalon? Okay. Frankie Avalon? <laughs> Is that who it was named I, after? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, Cam. Okay, cool. The, the big kahuna. Um, yeah, like I looked at that shot where the ship was kind of being blown you know kind of away and i was like that looks really dinky like that looks pretty pretty wonky yeah but uh, it was cool to see like an actual armada versus the copy paste thing that we got when Riker showed up uh in the uh, season one finale that was terrible but it was just even cool spotting you know sovereign class ships galaxy class ships of course the 140 year old excelsior class ship is still at it which uh hey props i I guess it's gone through lots of refits as well it's resilient what can you say yeah uh, they should have a uss resilience i I bet there is one out there um i mean if they're gonna name one after frankie avalon they should definitely have a resilient there you go uh so the other thing is i i was not a fan of the starfleet uniforms in season one those collars looked incredibly awkward. I really dig what they did here with uh, just looking at, say, uh, Raffi walking around with kind of, it, it's kind of a, almost a throwback to the uh, 
TOS era films, and the only thing I wish they had, and, and they had them in TOS eras, I, I think those uniforms could have used belts or something like that. That would have looked kind of cool. Yeah, um, I thought these ones just looked cool, and not in a way that felt like <laughs> trying to be cool. It's like they just looked like well-designed, and I could totally see fans wanting to wear them, and when they, you, you know, characters walk on screen, you go, that character looks pretty awesome. Yeah. Which is always awesome. You don't want it to look like a motion picture where you're like, oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so we've had uh, Borg cubes, Borg spheres, Borg diamonds. Now the uh, the first ever Borg sea urchin. Uh, what do you think of the new look? <laughs> I thought it was cool. It reminded me quite a bit, though, the reveal of it to the um, entrance of Nero and his ship mm. in Star Trek 2009 when it came through the rift there. Um I am just genuinely hopeful, though, with the Borg, that they're serious about wanting to, you know, join the Federation. Because, honestly, I just don't know where we can even go anymore with the Borg yeah. as adversaries. It's far more interesting, I think, at this point of Picard's life, and, you know, we've only got two seasons left of this show, to just say, you know what? His greatest enemy has reached a point where it's time to become allies. That's far more in interesting to me. Yeah, one thing that irked me a little bit, and it's nothing against Seven of Nine, it's mostly the the way that the writers, I guess, had to insert some conflict, though, but it was very much Seven of, Seven of Nine, the hawk, you know, like, I, I can understand her motivation for wanting to shoot first and ask questions later, but there just, there didn't seem to be much nuance with regards to her relationship to the Borg, in which you go back to an episode like, uh, say, Dark Frontier and Voyager, and there was a lot of nuance to that. And I, I hope maybe we get the opportunity for Seven and the Borg to interact and rekindle some sort of relationship, uh, assuming that there's a continuity in memories uh, from the Borg Queen to Borg Queen, you know. So I, I, I just, uh, <laughs> I do need to complain about the, the, the stakes, and Seven of Nine set it up. You know, she said this could be the beginning of the end of the Federation, which... That's the problem. It's like every single season of uh, the new live action series, we're told like this will be like the destruction of everything that we know. And uh, the, the reason I know it's not the beginning of the end of the Federation, uh, Cam, is because I, I saw what Sukal did to uh, the, the Federation um, about a thousand years <laughs> in the future. So. Yeah, good point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the 32nd century Star Trek has really um, pretty much destroyed any opportunity for the sorts of stakes that they sh are, it seems like they're indicating with Picard where it could end the Federation. It's like, no, it, it didn't. We know this. I think that's good because then they have to rethink what the stakes are in a far more interesting way other than like, yeah, it's the destruction of a life as we know it. I'm like, well, no, it's not. Like, think of something better. Because, you know, like we think about, um, I don't know, an episode like uh, Lower Decks where the stakes are, will I get a promotion? You know, like that's stuff that like i appreciate uh going on here yeah and um what do you think though the one concern i have with this show is the tone of the episodes where i often feel like 10 episodes in this kind of tone feels like it can get a little old and that's not something you deal with in you know past star trek shows and i felt it in season one and it's something like i noted it's not as a negative on this episode at all but it always kind of nags at me of like like 10 episodes of this tone without like a real shift up does feel like it gets a little, you know, kind of one note. I know what you're saying. I would say that if you feel the tone that we had in the season one premiere versus the season two premiere, the tone last season was rather dour, you know, 
yeah. they figured they'd have a lot of fun uh, in episode five, Stardust City Rag. But that episode started with having like <laughs> each of his eyeballs pulled out. You know, I'm just like, uh, yeah. Even if you put Rios in a pimp hat, that's not going to really make me forgive what happened earlier on. So I, I, I think that there's the opportunity to have fun I, I know what you're saying you're not going to get the uh fistful of data's episode <laughs> like in episode two yeah but i think you can have fun in just the back and forth between you know q and picard uh and finding where all the characters sit in this alt reality versus where we found them in uh you know this uh kind of prime timeline here i do just miss the ds9 approach which was even in the most serialized of sections of that show they could switch it up week to week and you got a sense of like honestly like kind of rising and falling action which is something that was like absent last season and i'm hoping they learn that and i'm hoping that we you know hopping around alternate dimensions maybe we can have some lighter stories maybe we can have things that you know get scary get funny you know we can bounce around tones a little more yeah as long as they don't go to a casino in this alt reality then i'll, I'll be fine with that but yeah but like i just wonder how much deep space nine though benefited from the fact that you had like 26 episodes and you needed to fill it out and you weren't going to do like uh you know let's break it down like what, what if every single episode of deep space nine was a either a bajoran politics or a dominion war story and it just went back and forth back and forth like i think that would get tedious after 26 episodes i think honestly it can get tedious if it's 10 episodes straight of just kind of the same serialized storyline especially if you're not very invested in, in what this story adds up to and i don't know you look at season one like we've really didn't care we didn't know what was even going on we didn't understand the motivations of most of the characters and it was very clear that writers were as i said before they're they're rewriting things on the fly and that that created a lot of problems as well so far i i'm in um despite the fact that i know that i i, I felt burned like last season as well i mean the thing is there's nothing wrong um really with what they set up in the premiere it's all about the journey and if they want to do these 10-hour stories we just have to judge the story, which can be frustrating in a way. It's like, I mean, my background really is, I guess, you know, writing about and, you know, reviewing films and also being an English major. And I don't tend to review the first 20 minutes of a movie or the first two chapters of a book, you know, in terms of writing about them. And that's often what you feel you're doing with some of these Star Trek shows, which is, well, we're judging basically the first, you know, like 20 minutes or something of a film in, a, you know, this 10 hour story they're telling. So you kind of do the best you can, but my, yeah, my general concern that I'm just going to be charting is, you know, in terms of tone, but in terms of just setting me up for one hour, yeah, this interested me. It made me want to watch more, so it did its job, and I was happy. Like, if I'm being honest, the only series that I've seen successfully do what you're talking about is, like, uh, just, you know, a chapter at a time, and you take it in holistically is The Wire. You know, that that's literally the only show that, that I, I feel can do that. Whereas a lot of the other shows, it can, as you say, it's just oh, more table setting. Oh, the story is dragging on. You saw that with a lot of those Netflix uh, Marvel shows where it was like six episodes of story stretch over 13 episodes instead. And that was kind of a, a tough sit. Um, so, look, I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Uh, <laughs> just as hopeful as I am that uh, we can keep uh, Soji's and... Um, and Elnor's screen time uh, going forward to where they were in this episode. You know, it's like, get, get them each two lines. 
Uh, I, I don't see them serving much of a uh, interesting function. Look, I, look, Gerardi, she's now like kind of a drunk screwball getting hit on by Deltons, acknowledging that she uh, got away with murder because uh, alien mind control. I mean, like, that's kind of like maybe the, the fun stuff that we can look forward to. With like, you've got a great actress like Alison Pill, and they're playing to her strengths here versus us having to... I don't know, watch this cliffhanger in which she's murdering her boyfriend and we don't understand why, but she still looks conflicted. And you're like, okay, yet another mystery box element that we have to endure. Yeah, I'm okay if, you know, we jump over to this alternate dimension and it's kind of like they're the Scooby gang. They're teaming up with Picard to solve the problem and we can see them actually working as an ensemble because I do think, for better or worse, they all have very distinct characters. Eleanor was very underexplored in season one, but I get a sense of who his character is. So put them all together and that could be just fun to follow in terms of figuring out a problem. You know, kind of like a, you know, sci-fi Mission Impossible team or Fast and Furious team kind of thing. That could be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some other notes just where we pick up with the characters. You know, Picard is, he's not the commandant of Starfleet Academy, as I had uh, been hoping. Instead, he's the chancellor. So I guess that's their kind of more fancy university way of describing what is essentially the same job. But this is kind of what we were hoping he'd be in, in season one. So it's just, it's interesting to see how they've course corrected and kind of, I, I think, giving us what we want. But it, look, it wasn't as if the, um, the cast of Picard was bad. It just, we weren't invested in these folks and they're going up against uh, one, you know, Jean-Luc. And that's kind of a tough thing. Uh, it's a tough ask for audiences coming in. But now what we've sat with these characters for, you know, 10 episodes, we kind of get, you know, what their motivations are, where they sparkle. You know, I think that the writers are playing to that, especially with kind of, I, I think, you know, they did very well with uh, Rafi and Rios last season. Seven of Nine blew it away. There's a reason why Jerry Ryan's in the main credits now. And I think despite uh, Allison Pill not getting very good material, I, she could shine at moments. And so I think that the fact that they're playing to these characters and actors, I, I think they've at least learned some lessons from that season, which is also why I'm hopeful. And also the opening music and credits felt a little more exciting and involving than last season. Yeah, so that I, to me almost felt like a major tone shift too. I did really dig that as well. Um, okay, so maybe some speculation here, but okay, so with Seven in the Fenris Rangers, she's got Rios' ship, you know, uh, do, do you still kind of think that there's hope that maybe we get to the end of Season 3 of Picard next year, and um, this is kind of the setup for Seven's spinoff, as she's got the, you know, La Serena, and she's going around doing, like, cargo runs with, you know, like, medical equipment, uh, medical supplies, and she has to fight off you know, xenophobic bandits making fun of her Borg implants? I mean, you know, when we talked about it, I think we said, like, we could understand a world where there's a Worf spinoff, but outside of that, this feels like the only other viable legacy character to continue on with, and the setup's there. Like, you don't need to do much more work. So I think it makes a lot of sense to continue forward with Seven's journey, so long as Jerry Ryan's enthusiastic about pursuing it. <laughs> the problem is they're going to give us season one, and it's like, if you don't complete this mission, it'll be the end of the galaxy. <laughs> I just hope they don't give her maybe an exit at the end of season two Picard that's akin to George O's exit from Star Trek Discovery. Where <laughs> you just kind of shrug. Or, or Tilly's in uh, season four. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it, uh, you know, when we talk about Rosetta, the, the latest Discovery episode. But I, it just, it grates on me more and more that Tilly just had this exit that was very 
you know, like unceremonious. And I was just, it just grates on me more as we, as we go through the season. So uh, what did you think of the look of the, uh, the Stargazer, both the, uh, the ship design, notwithstanding kind of the, the, uh, the cartoonish VFX, as, as well as kind of the interior, hmm. the, the corridors, the, the bridge and everything. I thought it looked beautiful inside. Like I, I don't really have a lot of complaints in terms of the way the ship's interiors look on these new Star Trek shows because they're obviously throwing a lot of money at making them look pretty cool and they look infinitely better than a lot of those bridges did when you got to say like the TNG movies like you know the Enterprise E interior I'm like okay it's fine I don't really find it that exciting but I do think that these shows do a good job. It looks like um, Tim Allen's kind of man cave design, you know, with kind of the uh, the brown leather and like, kind of that interior, right? Like the, the Enterprise E bridge. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just not that cool. Although, the one thing was, when I saw the four nacelles on uh, the ship, I'm like, I know it's supposed to be cool, but it doesn't look that cool to me. <laughs> oh, I liked it. Actually, you know what? I wanted eight nacelles. Like, <laughs> keep stacking them, guys. <laughs> um, we have not mentioned something we really should have had up front, which is just more discussion about Whoopi Goldberg back as Guinan yeah. and what that meant to see her again. Uh, look, it, it felt as if she had not seen Picard since the Troy and Riker wedding uh, back in the Nemesis days. She was referring to him as Admiral. I don't know if she actually knew that he was an Admiral because she said, you'll always be a captain to me. I get it, but let me ask you this, Cam. Great to see Whoopi Goldberg, but did, did you get the sense that Guinan felt something, was aware that this wasn't Picard, but this is an android with Picard's memories? Um, there, Okay, refresh my memory. Was there like a slight glimmer? Like, didn't she make some sort of very subtle allusion to that? I've watched the episode twice. I, if she did, I, I missed it both times. And, okay. and you know me, I, I've got the attention span of a goldfish, so sure. I, I may have missed it. So, um, So... Honestly, like, it wouldn't shock me if the show just kind of hand waves that away. It really wouldn't. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You'd think, but then they, they, you're looking absolutely positronic. Yeah. It's like, okay, okay. You know, that's yeah. why I like my alt dimension reality, you know, Picard in the flesh sort of deal. You know, I'll, I'll try to abide by that in my headcanon. Yeah. Um, but no, I thought Whoopi Goldberg was a lot of fun here. And yeah. I will be very interested to see if she plays a role very similar to something like Generations, where when we go to an alternate dimension, um, she's there and is the only one who's aware of the alternate dimension concept of what's going on. And she, of course, is riding a carousel with a little horsey, right? No, no, it can't be a carousel because they've done that. It has to be some other mode that is equally comedic. Oh, you know what? Uh, remember in Rascals where she convinces Roe to jump up and down on a bed? That's yeah. all we see Whippy Goldberg doing in this alt uh, reality. She, <laughs> she's just jumping up and down on a bed for some reason. We don't know why. I was thinking she could drive in in a bumper car. Okay, yeah, yeah, bumper car <laughs> or uh, the zipper. You know that oh, one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The zipper would be cool. Um, Go kart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know, your your takeaway about like. Uh, how, how did it feel for you to see, you know, Guinan back after, you know, like almost 25 years at this point? It really felt like no time had passed. And it, mm -hmm. you know, when you had Picard together with Deanna and um, Will uh, in Nepente, it felt yeah. like time had passed. It felt like those characters had had lives that had continued on and things had changed for them. Obviously, there was like tragedy with, you know, the Rikers. Um, so it, it, you could feel that kind of passage of time. Whereas here... 
it felt like no time had passed in a lot of ways. Like, they kind of just sat down in those very comfortable roles they had on TNG. So I kind of enjoyed the dichotomy between bringing back a legacy character here versus last season. Yeah, no, no I get it. Uh, but the one thing that I thought was a little odd is there was always this kind of, like, attraction between Picard and Guinan. And this is a situation where Picard goes to her as a counselor to talk about kind of love. You know, like he's clearly attracted to uh, the woman he took in as a refugee and makes uh, her work on his uh, giant palatial estate. Um, maybe a bit of a, uh, a, a workplace dynamic that's not appropriate, but, uh, you know, Lars seems to be into him. So I'll, I'll give him that there. But I, I don't know, like, have, had we seen Picard really talk relationship stuff with Guinan before? It, is there something obvious that I was missing? Because I always just, like, she... She knew Picard in a very special way that was always a little mysterious to the audience, but they they flirted quite a bit, and you almost got the sense that you know maybe maybe they'd hooked up uh, a couple times over the years. Did he ever talk to her in lessons? I I can't recall. Yeah, that's I, the only yeah. one that feels like a story that would have warranted it. Yeah, I could buy that. The other one is maybe uh, the perfect mate, because I do remember uh, Famke Jansen's character going into uh, uh, Ten Ford, and that's when like all the like the Ferengi traders and the Klingon miners or whatever they were, uh, they all started fighting over her. And I, I wonder if maybe Guinan was in that scene. I, 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 I can't quite recall. The thing is, you'd be surprised. Like, Whoopi Goldberg was in, like, I don't know, something like 60, 70 episodes, and you just kind of like forget about like that astounding number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. And I wonder if the reason like that he's comfortable to have this talk with her now is maybe there was this spark going on back then. But, you know, they're so much older, so much wiser. Life has taken them in different directions. So maybe there's just more of a comfort there. Like they have this intimate relationship that just doesn't function the way it used to because relationships do evolve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a question I want to ask you, like we, we've seen about four kind of like anchor bridges you know in this newer era of star trek since 2017 we've had the discovery we have the uss protostar we have the cerritos and now we have the stargazer I, these are the starfleet bridges i'm, I'm going to exclude something like la serena but um i don't know uh, should we try to rank the bridges do, do we want to come to a consensus on like what looks the coolest uh, versus the least cool okay sure um hmm like can i throw a vote out for why don't we go do, do you want to start at worst and then go to uh, best from there yeah sure let's do that I, I i think the one i find least appealing is the uss discovery i thought the shenzhou was actually doing something cool with like the bridge actually being on the underside of the saucer section and he had kind of the the view screen windows there that uh it was just very unique but then when we jumped over to the discovery it just it kind of had like this kind of bland brownish gray sort of look to it that I've, I've just never really warmed to but i don't know do you feel differently about one of the other bridges no i actually agree with you about the discovery one being the weakest i think i've gotten used to it over time and um you know i'm at peace with it but it feels there's like i don't know kind of a a warm vibe to a lot of the the ships when you see the bridges and it's just not really there on Discovery, and it's partly because it spaces people out so much. Um, you frequently had, especially in Season 1, you have Lorca just, like, standing the whole time. It doesn't have that sort of comfortable factor. Even now when I watch Burnham in her captain's chair, there's, like, nothing around her. It's like this chair that's like an island in the space. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th I think that's probably the weakest. 
Okay. After that, look, I, I think we're going for a bit of nostalgia, at least for me. Um, the USS Cerritos, you know, it, it looks very much kind of like the Enterprise D bridge, but it's not really kind of upping the game in terms of bridge design, doing anything like super awesome or cool. Um, would you have that maybe third out of fourth then? Would that make sense to you? I might put it above like something like the Shenzo, but... It's well, also... I'm, I'm thinking about kind of the, the yeah, anchor yeah. bridges, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking no, I'm... about uh, Stargazer, uh, the Protostar, uh, the Cerritos, and, as well as um, Discovery. Yeah, um, but the thing about the Cerritos is there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. Yeah. But yeah. it is very much leaning so heavily on the Enterprise-D design that it's hard to, you know, put it at number one when it's not taking the risks that the other ones are. Okay, so I guess between number one and number two, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. Like we we've only had about like I don't know, a total of like seven minutes aboard the Stargazer. It's a very cool design, but I I, I have to give it up to the Protostar. Protostar has got to be number one. It's just kind of it's got this design that I've always kind of envisioned in my head, almost in that you can kind of walk on the bridge. It's not as you know, like turbo lift dependent. It just has this sheen to it where you'd think it could feel super sterile, but it's got like kind of this this coziness to it as well. And uh, honestly, it, it's being manned by hologram Janeway, which is just like pretty awesome there. So I would I would give it then to uh, you know uh, Protostar number one, and then the Stargazer number two personally. Yeah, I actually agree because I think with Stargazer, I love the design. It looks fantastic, but if you put two bridges side by side, sort of the dark, moody one versus the optimistic, bright one, I'm going to lean towards the bright, optimistic one because I do think the Protostar represents sort of the spirit of Star Trek. Like when I look at it, it has that sense of optimism and hope and discovery, not the show discovery, but, uh, you know, it's it's like a ship I would want to be on. The Stargazer looks cool as a visual and um, I enjoyed watching it and I hopefully will get to see lots more of it this season. But it's not necessarily the bridge I would want to be on. Yeah. Okay. Um. So a couple other thoughts that I had. Uh, a, it's very cool that uh, you know in the academy scene we got a Jacques Cartier shout out. Uh, that, that that's pretty awesome for uh, Canadians out there. He's uh, the guy who kind of really mapped uh, what uh, is now Quebec. Uh, Elnor was given applause for what I have to believe is the only time in his life, uh, at least <laughs> in this series. So uh, good on him there. Uh, I also have to wonder, does anybody respect Rios as a captain? Because he kept screaming, ceasefire, ceasefire, and people under his command would not stop shooting phasers at the Borg Queen. I have to wonder if, uh, you know, at that point in time, if people are that respectful of a captain who's like smoking stogies on the bridge. <laughs> well, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, does he just have too loose of a crew? It's just like it, it, every day is kind of casual Friday for him. Maybe, maybe. That seemed um, not really Starfleet protocol, but okay. Uh. <laughs> like, look, I, I bet if Pic- he knew that, he did not know that Picard was coming, and I, I think he knew Picard was coming. Otherwise, he would have been wearing like a Hawaiian shirt, you know, and, and sunglasses sure. while he was smoking uh, that, that big cigar of his, you know, like Arnold back in the, back in the day. And shorts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, with, with black socks on and sandals. <laughs> Yep, classic dad mode. Up to his knee. <laughs> um, I thought it was cool to get a shout out to a descendant of Sulu um, yeah, early yeah. in the episode. And also the Spock book that was given to Elnor. Um, was it the <laughs> Leonard Nimoy book, I Am Not Spock? <laughs> that would have been amazing. Oh my god, yeah. 
<laughs> Look, uh, Picard gave him some good advice, which is uh, live a little, you know. Like, I, it's always fun to hear about kind of the, the awkward people at Academy. You know, like Data had an awkward time. You know, uh, Wesley killed somebody and tried to cover it up, you know. So, of course, <laughs> Elnor is uh, getting into a little bit of trouble. I guess, I guess that absolute candor is getting his ass kicked, as uh, Rafi put it. So, it's also nice to hear that she's protective of him. I would have liked one scene showing how this absolute candor is um, affecting him. Candor. I Absolute know, candor. I know. <laughs> as soon as I said no, it. No, I, I don't like, think oh. you do. I don't think you do. <laughs> but I would have liked just one scene, just one scene of showing it versus telling us that. Okay. Um. Here, here's something that's I, I did not like, though. Do you think that the uh, in media race uh, was necessary at the start of the episode? You know, like, I, I think they were a little worried, like, if we don't have this action-packed scene, you know, to kick off the first two minutes in the teaser you know, uh, people aren't going to sit through, you know, grapes being transported uh, off the vineyard, you know, like I, I totally would have dug it if they just started with the vineyard stuff, but maybe they're worried. I don't, I don't know. I, I it just that the in media Reese thing is just so overdone and this did not help my viewing experience at all. No, and it, it, it's following that old template of showing us, a, you know, a big explosive scene like that. But then when we actually get to it, we understand that, oh, wait, it's actually, they're the ones opening fire and the Borg isn't necessarily attacking them. Yeah. And, okay. But it, it, then it feels kind of like a cheat. And it's not something that's new. Many, many, many shows and films have done the same thing. But it's a technique that gets a little old. I remember listening to the uh, commentary uh, for, uh, DVD commentary for that old J.J. Uh, Abrams series, Alias, you know, starring Jennifer Garner back in the day. And they started their uh, own pilot uh, in, using that in Media Reese format. And it was just this explosive pilot. It sucked you in. And then on the commentaries, J.J. was like, yeah, so we've realized like every time we were having trouble with kind of getting the episode going, we had just used that technique and uh, as a viewer, it's like, yep. And it got very old very quickly. You know, it's just like, don't go down to that well unless you really, really need it. And I don't think they really, really needed it here. I think it was just maybe a little bit of insecurity, perhaps, on the part of uh, maybe just the executives told the, the producers, like, no, you, you need to have something explosive to really kick it off with uh, season two after maybe a little, uh, a large portion of the audience may have been bummed out by where we left things off. Yeah, and I mean, J.J. did the same thing when he moved into the movie world, because that's what they did with the opening of Mission Impossible 3 as well. Oh, I thought that was, uh, isn't it like where, like, uh, Carrie Russell has, like, a brain bomb in her head or something? Wasn't that the opening of Mission Impossible 3? No, the opening is Philip Seymour Hoffman has Tom Cruise captured, and he's threatening his wife. Oh. And then he's, like, counting to ten before he's going to pull the trigger, and then it cuts into the credits. Then we go to the whole Carrie Russell stuff. Okay, I, I I was so pumped when like she got hired uh, um for for that uh, uh film, and I thought she was gonna be in it a lot more. And then five minutes in, um, she gets a brain bomb uh, going off in her uh, head, and like her eyes just like her eyes almost kind of like explode or, or something like that. It was kind of weird. Well, at least JJ gave her a lot more in the uh, third Star Wars film he did. Yeah, it's it a great role. It's a great uh-huh. role. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but um yeah i don't know are, are there oh you know okay uh, i guess i'm kind of going through my notes just little things uh, before we jump over to uh, discoveries rosetta but um that young portrait of picard in the manor and it's very clear that this is a brand new manor that uh, compared with what we saw last season 
um, yeah. completely different sets and all that. But um, it, it would have been great if that young Picard portrait was actually made to look like Tom Hardy, and <laughs> you know, nobody would admit it. You know, just like you know, it's, yeah, Patrick Stewart's like, yeah, that, that's obviously me. Or didn't they show like a photo of young Picard in like TNG? Ah, uh, was it TNG or was it one of the movies or something? Well, I remember in uh, Star Trek Nemesis, they had a, a picture of Tom Hardy at the Academy, okay. in which his head is already shaved, even though we know from Tapestry, he had yeah. a full head of hair back then. So Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would have been totally down with a Tom Hardy photo, but I was thinking in my mind, I couldn't remember if they'd shown like just kind of a random extra photo of Picard in TNG somewhere. That would be even funnier to have a portrait of that. Just uh, his old stand-in? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, Cam, so if um, the final frontier is in fact time, as Picard uh, told us, and uh, time is a predator, as we found out from, uh, you know, uh, Soren, but in fact, time is a companion, as we later found out uh, from uh, Picard, is the final frontier your companion, Cam? Well, this podcast has been going quite a while, so I guess so. <laughs> it okay. seems like it is, yes. <laughs> it's quite the companion. You mentioned that um, speech from Generations. I actually recited at least a section of that at a wedding once as the best man. Oh, uh, did anyone know the reference? Uh, the the groom did. So that's okay. all that mattered. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's wonderful. <laughs> no, wait. I'm sorry. Did you go up and do <laughs> say to the bride and groom, "Time is a predator." <laughs> I, I cut that part. It is. <laughs> It is the fire in which you burn. <laughs> I, I cut out uh, the, you know, because Picard opens it with like, I used to think time stalked us like a predator. I cut that part. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I kept it oh. positive. <laughs> Actually, thinking about that, I got a, I got a funny message from uh, one of the friends of the podcast, Jay Gamble, uh, after he saw the episode. And he said, uh, oh, I was not expecting Seven of Nine to go back in time just to burn uh, Robert and Renee alive in the uh, the barn. Uh, you know, like uh, a cra crazy way to start the season off. And um, I, I was laughing uh, very heartily at that one. I mean, I would have believed it coming out of season one with what happened to each of <laughs> Everything, yeah, everything has to be miserable here. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So, no, I'm ex I'm excited about the next episode. Yeah, I'm. I look. I'm pumped. I, I, you know, we didn't really touch too much on uh, Q. I, I, I can't wait to see him just torturing Picard. You could see how much Picard just like. It, it wasn't like he was like, "Oh, Q, you're back again." It's like it, it, it. You could tell he was dying a little inside. Like he just does not want to deal with this fella. Who, you know, as he said, I think at the end, it was like the the trial never ends, and uh, this is the end of the road not taken. And I'm just like, okay, so I'm curious what that means you know like i i i'm he's such a charismatic you know antagonist in the series like this could be a whole lot of fun i love the back and forth that these actors have shared for such a long time so i know i i'm pumped for further q episodes i am too um like i said earlier with you know having patrick stewart playing the tng music like there's a responsibility with that and i think there is with q as well and I'm just really hopeful that they're looking at the great Q stories and saying, okay, let's bring that back and let's honor, honestly, a much delayed return of that character. So I am genuinely excited to see the next episode. So that's that's a plus. This episode did its job really well. What, what would be a good Q pun for an episode title sometime this season? Oh, oh. I've got one in mind. <laughs> uh, what's yours? Okay, it's when uh, Picard and Lars finally kiss, 
and the episode title is called Cuties. <laughs> I can't really beat that. <laughs> okay. I mean, I thought about it for a while, in all fairness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you could have one just called Q-Ball. Oh, wait, wait, no. Or, you know, it's about the Borg, so you just call it Cube. Ooh, not bad. Not yeah. bad. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, Cam, do we want to tackle, um, you, you know, uh, get into Star Trek Discovery? Maybe, maybe we could tackle it very much like we did, like, um, the Cam DeLorton report, uh, sure. in which, uh, you know, uh, we don't spend, you know, like a full 60 minutes talking about it. And if that's the case, then why don't we rename it and why don't we call it Star Trek Discam Orti? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. okay. I'm not going to write that out on the uh, podcast notes because once again, Don't. it'll look like I've had some sort of mental break. <laughs> <laughs> You've had a stroke. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, boy, this episode, Rosetta. Um, I was having flashbacks to CV Pacum Parabellum um, through sections of it, which is not something you ever want to experience. I... <sighs> I don't know. This is more table setting and in many ways the worst type where I got characters on a murky looking planet not doing a heck of a lot, um, just kind of stringing things along, building and, you know, setting up basically a table for, I don't know, the next episode again. Cam, has this entire season just been table setting? Yes. That and characters saying three words, communication, connection, and context. It seems as this season could have been two episodes. It could have been like a uh, two-part premiere. And then we could have told some other stories or something like that. Like, I am just not at all invested in what's going on here, you know? And even stuff just like, remember like Tarka and Book talking about the, the Qui-Gon uh, Qui Jinn planets, you know, the, the yeah. night spree, you know, the, the night spree. It's not a parasite. I I really had no idea where they're going with that. I was just, I, and it kind of lost me and I was just kind of getting bored. I'm just like, okay, you're not a parasite. You're going to... Tra travel along cloaked with a ship like, i'm just it's that sort of stuff where they're just giving them like kind of plot points when plot is different than story but and i just think that they've got too immersed in whatever the plot is which seems to be quite boring and, and not caring about like what what the story is and the, the story is how you guide characters through a, a journey and if what we're being guided through is jet reno telling adira how to make friends because you know uh detmer is the shit as she calls her i, I don't know i just like i i don't care well and also there's that whole section you just mentioned of I don't know, talking about parasites and blah, 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 blah. None of that pays off. There is no interesting part about that ship, you know, breaking into Discovery. It's like, okay, great, they did it. Like, you didn't need any of it. It felt like time killer. And I don't really get it because you're not filling a primetime TV block anymore. So, like, you could make some of these episodes shorter. It, it wouldn't make any difference. And I don't understand why we spent so long wandering around Dust Planet, um, watching characters freak out. Just for us to have moments where Burnham could say something like, it feels like love. Actually, now that I think about it, it sounded like Mr. Burns and the Simpsons in that X-Files episode. <laughs> it feels like love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Kim, were you shocked to discover that, uh, you know, the, the mystery of a Discovery episode revolves around being extremely emotional? It's a parody of itself. Like, I know. And I don't want to be the guy that's like, this show sucks because characters are being emotional all the time. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, that's not the case. There's lots of stories where characters are emotional and we are genuinely, you know, we feel the power of that. But the show is doing it in the most superficial, thin way 
ever where it's like just characters walk around telling us how emotional they are and we're expected to be like oh well that's really powerful i i found the picard laris scene that awkward mm-hmm. scene far more sensual i was invested in it emotionally far more than anything i've seen so far in uh, this entire season of discovery you know like no matter how teary-eyed goodbyes they keep giving to characters i'm just like okay whatever it, it just it doesn't feel as if any of those moments are earned and even a moment of Saru tapping back into his fear um, receptors that he hasn't had for a while. Like, that could be a really compelling episode. A person that feels like they've gone through a major change, suddenly being hauled back to a state that they were much more, you know, ill at ease with themselves and not having very much confidence and what that could mean for them. But it's all just a throwaway thing. It's like, yeah. okay, Saru's freaking out for like 10 minutes and then he's not. Don't worry about it. The next episode, he'll be back to normal. I I did like the 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 point that you know Culber made. He's like, oh, your you know breathing is still elevated, and you know Saru's just like, I just I'd never I haven't felt fear in years. It was just a new sensation. Like I had to get used to it again. I mean, that sort of stuff to me is far more interesting than the other stuff that was going on. In, in you know plot point, plot point, plot point. You know, and <laughs> I like the you know like the um the face of the United Earth. <laughs> pulls out a switchblade and holds it to, like, Book's neck. Give me one reason why I shouldn't slit your throat right now. <laughs> what like... was that subplot? It's filling time. It was just a complete joke. You know, they could have resolved all of that by, I don't know, you know what? They just wanted to get Reno onto the uh, onto Book's ship for whatever reason. I'm actually excited by that. It seems as if Reno's actually going to have a role for, like, uh, something substantial to do for the rest of the season. That That's kind of cool. Yep. I don't know. Maybe they could have just transported her covertly, and that would have been that. You know, I, I, I'm otherwise, like, although I, I found it weird, like, they were just going through Jeffrey's tubes and spying on people through, like, these hidden windows. It made me think of, you know, like, uh, this. you mentioned Scooby-Doo earlier, but you remember they'd go to mansions and there'd be people hiding in walls looking through paintings, <laughs> like, the eyeballs of paintings and stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's what book and Tarka are up to right now i'm just like remember how you know exhilarated we were uh, with with Tarka's appearance and he's just injecting the show with this energy that we haven't felt before he's been so boring like since we came back from the mid-season pre- premiere he was literally hiding under a desk <laughs> <laughs> that is your antagonist of the season <laughs> was shown here hiding <laughs> under a desk from jet reno <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, 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 like, the show has become a joke, you know? And it's like, I, I, look, listeners, like, I, if you like it, like, I, I get it. Like, cause, like, there, there's character stuff that I, I'm digging here. There's moments in it. But it's just, like, as you said, Kim, there's so much stuff where it's just becoming a parody of itself. And I can say, like, objectively, this is not good writing. Like, I, I watch enough, like, very well written TV series, and I, this is just not doing that. I know there's a lot of people like saying, well, this is the first Star Trek series to actually really tackle emotions. I'm just like, well, they're doing it in such a heavy-handed way that it just makes me grimace whenever I watch it. It just it makes me want to crawl out of my skin because of how awkwardly they're handling it. Like, you know, Adira, like, the whole Adira-Detmer, like, subplot was just, like, I don't know. It felt like an after-school special or something. It felt like, boy, we've written off so many characters that the ones who are left don't have any connection with each other. Oh, there's the word, yeah. connection. Um, <laughs> you know, uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, but it's like, we've got to start bonding some of these characters who've never talked to each other before. And, I, like, I'm not against an Adira-Detmer um, friendship. That could be interesting. But, like, this this wasn't a story. This was, like, 
like three minutes in an episode out of nowhere. I know, I know. And like you said, it's very much surface level. I, and I let's let's just say the names of the main characters that have left the series you know uh you know no more Lorca, no more pike no more giorgio no more tilly you know th- these were like very exhilarating characters to watch you know they, they had this energy this spark to all of them and they're all kind of like been dispatched with uh some that have reasons that make more sense than others you know and i just like just the, the show's energy this season like it, it just kind of it deflates more and more every subsequent episode and Kim you're talking about like how and this is maybe at the halfway point of the season how you know you're enjoying season four discovering more than season three I think it'd be way easier for you to go back and rewatch season three at this point than where we've gotten to with season four I, I think season four might just pretty it's going to be a pretty brutal rewatch for me when I have to do it ahead of season five yeah, I'm leaning towards three at this point. I think three just made me so angry by the end. Yeah. But at least early on, I would have episodes that would be like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Let's see where this goes. That's not been the case with at least the last handful of episodes. And like, I had a couple other just notes on this one. Like, the Dr. Harai character, like, I like the actor. The character seems distinct. I don't know what to make of, like, his appearance in this episode. Like, like what's the point? Well, you know, you have this whole scene of the Federation president having a heart-to-heart with him and telling him he's being too blunt with the crew. And I'm like, I didn't realize this was a character I was supposed to care about. Like, I thought he just kind of popped in as a cameo of some sort, but now I'm expected to be invested in him? Maybe the show should have, like, set him up in some way. Yeah, but the president had to lecture him about how he needs to make sure that the crew feels supported. (laughs) Yeah. Is this like one of those HR videos that, you know, everybody has to watch, you know, um yeah at work or something i'm just like uh, okay you know um it was weird hey surprise cam burnham had a gut instinct she had a gut instinct that that gas giant used to be the home of uh you know species 10c and guess what cam her gut was right do you know why she's always right no matter what Uh, yep that's the case um i also liked when they were heading off on the mission and the federation president's like um, like, I don't know about this whole sending the captain <laughs> and the first officer. And Burnham says, don't worry, Nilsson has the calm. <laughs> Cam, w- w- what is Nilsson's first name? I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't have one. Like, this character has been around uh, since season two, still does not have a first name. Or a character trait. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, what is her most distinct character trait? Uh... I'm sure she said something in an episode about liking some place or something. Like, that would be the only thing I could even draw upon. Was she the one? I think she either liked, like, Hawaii or, like, the Oregon coast, I, I think, in the last episode when they were talking about their favorite locations on Earth. Yeah, that's about all I got. I mean, also, honestly... She, she, you... <laughs> she liked to hang out outside that tree uh, at Starfleet Academy, too. I remember that trait of hers. Okay. Like, my most memorable Nilsson moment is probably her having the, like, the brunette hair when they went to the Mirror Universe. Yeah. That <laughs> That's her trait. She, she dyes her hair blonde. <laughs> She's not a natural blonde. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, okay. This season is unsalvageable at this point. Like, we're just riding yes. it out to the yes. end. And we've got two, what, two more episodes to go. Well, I mean you don't think they're gonna end on a cliffhanger do you because we're really putting off old species 10 cc <laughs> we really are like like i don't think we're gonna meet them in episode uh uh 12 you know so uh-huh. does that give us like one episode of them communicating with pheromones 
Like, what do they just walk around with like perfume bottles and spray them in the faces of the species? Like, like this is so stupid. This is just this is one of the dumbest seasons. This might be the dumbest season of Star Trek. Period. Like, I I think I'd rather rewatch season one of Next Gen than yeah. this current season. Like, because there's just so much wacky stuff. You you have kind of the the archetypes of the uh, the characters just being developed you know like and you can laugh at a lot of the stuff i'm not laughing well i guess i am <laughs> in this episode but i'm just like i'm mostly just crying at, at what we're getting so far in, in season four of discovery i mean we're laughing but we're also sad because you don't want a star trek show to be on the air that's as much of a bummer in the storytelling arena but like you just sit through episodes and like i'm also thinking of tarka and book you know putting on the armbands to like fool sentient computer zora and i'm like Okay, like, it just feels like they're throwing out magic left, right, and center, and I'm like, magic to fool magic, I guess. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Well, at least there's not that magical ocarina that we had in the season one finale of Picard, though. And, and I want to reemphasize to listeners, Cam, you and I were on board with seasons one and two. Like, we, we had our issues. We, we had pointed out the flaws. I, I think our criticisms were fair criticisms. It, it wasn't kind of the, the um, reactionary stuff that you'd see on a lot of social media where the people would, like... I hate this show because, you know, it's, it's some stupid reason, you know, whatever. I think the show is just, it's, it's been losing us uh, bit by bit. And we like, we're past the end of our rope, you know, and like, we're just like, absolutely just kind of like exhausted, like all patience that we had for what's going on here. So I, I don't know. And also replicator sabotage. That's <laughs> steaming oh, bananas. Yeah. That was my favorite part. <laughs> but also just having other shows on the air, like Lower Decks, Prodigy, um, you know, this Picard premiere, it just really points out how mu- how poorly Discovery is doing Star Trek storytelling yeah. at this specific yeah. moment. Look, we've been enjoying uh, the, the other shows. Like, even when we, like, talked about, like, I, so I, I did that rewatch of Picard, uh, season one, and I was like, you know, okay, the show just actually, like, works a whole lot better if you just consume it all at once rather than try to dissect it week to week. You know, and guess what? I, I also binge-watched season three of Discovery, and it didn't fix the problems. Like, the, the, you know, Picard, it seems like it seemed less problematic to me upon rewatch. Not the case with Discovery season three, and that, that that's what I'm saying. Like, we're enjoying like other aspects of new Star Trek. It's just Discovery is falling flat on its face, and this is not a judgment uh, against anybody who enjoys the show. I I I'm not attacking any characters. Like, there's tons of shows that I adore that people like make fun of me for watching. I don't care, you know. So you shouldn't care necessarily either if if we're ridiculing a, a show that you like. I I, I just that that's all I have to say because I, I know some people like they, they uh, hold it close to their heart, and I, I don't want to feel as if uh, we're ridiculing them in any manner, even though we are. We're ridiculing the writers. That that's what we're doing. Yeah, and it is the writers because you could take all of these characters, hand them off to different writers, and it would probably be great because the characters are well defined. So yeah, it's just weird. And also, Tyler, um, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Species Ten C, uh, they are an alien species that prioritize children. Unlike all the other alien species we met on Star Trek. <laughs> you know, the species that hate children, so their species no longer prolificate and, you know, they're extinct, you know? I mean, even the Horta, back in the day, they were like, oh my god, like, this alien that looks so different um, cares about its children. Like, at least in that case, you go, okay, that's kind of a moving Star Trek story. But at this point, to be doing this is so weird. <laughs> Yeah. Especially a species that is apparently this advanced. Uh, not that I care about what species 10C turns out to be, but they did make mention that they it looked like they had to evacuate their home planets, you know, a thousand years ago. 
which kind of puts them in the um you know the the 22nd 23rd 24th century area so i don't know maybe it connects back to kind of the um the the more familiar star trek series more familiar timeline somehow but at this point like you could tell me i don't know species 10c is the changelings and i'm just like okay i don't care it doesn't really matter to me we already saw one turn into a triple at a casino planet sure you know yeah yeah is there any answer that would actually okay not that i'm saying you know the answer or you have you hope what the answer is but do you think it's actually possible for the writers to deliver something that would uh, you would find really cool and you'd be blown away and, and invested in what this journey has been? I think it's possible for them to surprise me. I don't think it's possible for them to do anything that would redeem the journey of this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, on that note, <laughs> look forward to our episode review next week, Cam. The penultimate. Yeah. But, but there'll also be more Picard. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes look I, I i i i'm looking forward to picard look i just maybe we'll feel burned by the end of season two i i don't care i i i'm invested in the journey so far and that's that with uh discovery you've lost me that that's fine uh, as a completist as a star trek nerd who's been hosting a podcast for free what six seven years now cam i will watch every single thing that you put out there and look, if everything was gold, then nothing would be gold. You know, there, there'd be nothing to measure it against, you know, um, you know, relatively. So I'm, this is fine. You know, this is fine. It's just, some people like it. It's just not for me. Yeah. Okay. So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. We already talked about what we'll be doing next week, but it will be more Picard and Discovery. Um, and also leave reviews for us wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever. These reviews help us with placements on rankings and all that sort of stuff. So again, as Tyler said, free podcast, leave those reviews. Um, you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V is in VFX on Picard. Eh, a little shaky, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T. T is in Tarka under a desk. O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.